Live from the 93.7 The Ticket Studios in the heart of Lincoln, America, this is Inside the Huddle with Nebraska Football Hall of Famer, Jay Foreman. Fires a pass, and it's intercepted by the Huskers at the 25, Jay Foreman. And Foreman takes it down to the 19-yard line of Oklahoma. Another big play by the Blackshirts. On 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Sponsored by Advanced Medical Imaging. What up? Good morning, good late after, uh, good uh, late morning. I guess this is brunch, brunch time. An odd time for Inside the Huddle with Jay Foreman, like we uh, like was mentioned, brought to you by Advanced Medical Imaging, located at 7601 Pioneers Boulevard. We are in day like three, that seems like day 300 of uh, snow and cold Mageddon. Right, Harrison? Yeah, it's pretty rough. My car took a few tries to get it to turn over this morning. Yeah, a little bit a, of panic. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, it's so cold, it's going to freeze the inside of sometimes of your windows and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So you just got to you always implore people to be safe. Don't go out unless it's necessary. I, obviously, I think the snow is done snowing for a while, but just the temperatures and you just never know how cars will react to this type of temperature. And, and, and uh, before we get into sports and inside the huddle, you know, it's funny. Everybody says, oh, well, you're from Minnesota, so you should be used to it. No, you, you just know how to navigate it. Yeah, that's the best way to. I like that term yeah. more. Yeah. I'm never cool walking outside and it being negative twenty. I ain't cool with that. Yeah, I think people think, oh, you, you, you know, you went to middle school and high school in Minnesota, so you just have like, like I got a different blood type and I, I'm just <laughs> like built built different. Now I like to think I'm built different, but I still have the uh, same uh, human feelings and blood. And plus, I'm older and beat down now and broke up, so I, you know, it definitely gets to the bones a lot faster. But you know, one thing I always try to tell people. Um, if then when they ask about it, when it, when you're out in these elements, it's not time to be cute. You don't got to worry about matching. You don't have to worry about anything else, but, but, uh, being warm mm-hmm. and that's the most important thing and being safe. And so, um, yeah, and, don't and, be and, driving with a low tank of gas, like do yourself a favor, do yourself, yourself a full tank in yeah. case your car gets stuck somewhere. You don't yeah. want to be sitting there, there with in the no cold. gas. Yeah. Always keep it on, a, on at least three quarter full tank. And then also. As you're seeing it right now, where we're looking out here in O Street, uh, you know, it's still pretty icy out there just based on the, the temperature and stuff like that. So always be careful, give enough uh, space. So with that being said, uh, inside the huddle to, you know, it's um, we'll do a little bit of uh, Husker talk real quick, and then we'll jump right into the uh, NFL playoff weekend. And so as far as the Huskers go, I think, um, you know, it was right on the very end where we had two commits, right, Isaiah Nair. And um, that was it. I think Isaiah Nairage was the only one last week, right? The receiver. Isaiah Nair, um, can we get that linebacker? Did he commit? He well, he did, but then that that's where we left off. But then we and had then we, 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 wait, we, 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 we were waiting on Jamal Banks. Yep. And we were waiting on Stefan Thompson, the linebacker from Syracuse. Uh, we had a linebacker that was potentially going to come from Idaho, and he didn't come, right? And so he canceled his visit, and I think he's going to USC or something like that. But without further ado, uh, we did get a, a commit from Jamal Banks, a 6'4", 210-pound uh, receiver, very productive. I think he had about 700 yards last year at uh, Wake Forest. And then we got Stephon Thompson, uh, which is a really good get at 6'. He's about 6'1", 245, 250. Uh, I'm assuming he's a middle linebacker just for the simple fact of his height and, 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 and weight, uh, which is a big glaring hole. And the, I think you're, you're, I think we'll, we'll start with Stephon Thompson. I look at it like with him, uh, Harrison, is that you get a player and a half. And my and I always say this when 
you know, they're bringing qualities and maybe even two players. So you're getting Stefan Thompson, the player that had 60 or about 62 tackles this year after a little bit of an injury plague year to year before. Uh, then you're getting the other player as far as the leadership qualities as a middle linebacker and productive. And then also you're getting the player that already knows the Tony White system inside and out because he has been in the Tony White 335 system a lot longer than anybody else on this roster, right? And so where he's able to, you know, obviously he has to come in and compete and 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 you know live up to everything that you know he thinks he is and what Nebraska's hoping hoping he is. But he knows what Tony White expects. He knows what Tony White needs from a middle linebacker. And then also he knows what it takes to be successful. So as he's maybe trying to mentor and nurture some of the younger guys, like the Dylan Rogers, um, Makai Bears, or if, say, like Jamari Butler does, you know, he kind of jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. He, he's a guy they can lean on because he's been in that position. And also being a middle linebacker, he's already been a selfless player is that, you know, you have to line everybody up and you have to do those things. So I think it's a really good get for Nebraska and Tony white knows him better than any recruiting analyst, any media head like me and you or anybody that can, um, you know, you know, I guess, guess that, you know, what, what type of person he is. Tony white knows who he is. He's seen him. Uh, he's pushed him. He knows what he wants and knows what he, and he knows what to expect from him. So I think it's a really, really good pickup for Nebraska and probably one of the best ones because, you know, when you lose Luke Reimer uh, to, you know, potentially going to the NFL, then uh, uh, Nick Henrich is, is you know, hanging him up after, unfortunately, having a late season, I think, ACL injury mm-hmm. again. And he'd been pretty injury plagued since, he, you know, pretty much since his senior year in high school. So it wore him down a little bit. But you're losing two productive players, two guys that uh, were tremendous leaders in the locker room. And so you don't replace that, you know, with on your roster. So this is why when Matt Rule said he wants to be 90-10, you want to be able to go and I call it delicacy shopping. You want to know exactly what you need, find the person or persons and go get it. And he fits the script. What do you think? Yeah, I like it too. I like what you mentioned too. You, you're going to be losing some veteran. Reimer, he knew the system pretty well. He was an obvious leader out there, really right. knew the scheme well, um, did well with it first year in that three three five system. But coming from Syracuse with Thompson, I think that's big. You yeah. just got a guy, like you said, I think that experience, losing that in Luke Reimer. And getting it right back. Luke Reimer was a really smart player. Right. Yeah, like, for everything with, I've seen yeah. him play, his ability to pick up defenses on the fly, um, I feel like you're going to be missing that. So you had a guy who's been in Tony White's system. He's going right. to have the rapport with Tony White already. It should feel like a pretty natural plug. Right. And uh, if he's you know able to, if everything looks great in practice, like yeah, he should be an impact player sooner than later. Yeah, and he's and look, uh, I think the great thing about it, he's willing to come here and and, and believe in what we're doing here in Nebraska. He believes in Coach White. I think you know one of the biggest offseason, I guess let's call it the portal gets is re- the re-signing of uh, Coach White. I know it was a big mm-hmm. deal. We talked about it. Uh, exclusively on uh, a couple inside the huddles, but when you when you get a transfer portal get that's directly associated with them, that's why you have to really give it credit credit because it brings stability to that side of the ball, it brings continuity, and it brings an expectation. He knows what he wants and knows what he likes. He fits the he fits the script, and um, worked it, out pretty well for Mickey Joseph and Trey Palmer. It did. When you have those connections, you know what they are, and then they need a chance, and they're coming in with a chip on their shoulder. Tony White knows what buttons to push. Um, it can help with Dvorak as far as being able to uh, alleviate a little bit of stress of coaching some other guys up, and, and you know where you can do, you know, depending. Look, this is a, he's an asset to the, to Dvorak. You get what I'm saying? 
I mean, the stress level for him, he should be sleeping good, even, you know, <laughs> when it, at least a little bit better. Oh, yeah. Right. And so that's a great get. Uh, the next one, obviously, we got Jamal Banks. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I liked about him, I don't know if you've seen his quotes or whatever. He said, look, this is, you know, this is business. He said, I'm here to do, pretty much, he said, I'm here to do work. Yeah. Which okay? I, I know what you're I like talking it. about. I, I like, like that. I like that. I like it. Um, Seems rare in today's era. He's keeping it real. He knows exactly where it's at. I think Nebraska was his best opportunity and best chance to uh, elevate himself. I think the signing of uh, Dylan Raiola and Daniel Kalen, I guess, for, for say, and, the, and then obviously with Harburg coming back, I think he felt that, you know, it's, it's a really good opportunity for him. Um, I think, you know, being here or Dylan coming up the same weekend that he was here, he could, you know, I know I've been knowing Dylan for for a long time, but it, for him to be in a college kid to see how mature and elevated mentally that Dylan is, um, really is is appealing to a guy like Jamal Banks that's coming in. He's not your average freshman quarterback from a mentality standpoint. Now Dylan still has to go out there and is going to have some, you know, learning curves. He's going to st- he's going to stub his toe. He's going to go through some downturns. But the the best way to, um. I guess I wouldn't say eliminate it, but to lessen that is having a veteran receiver that he can build a rapport with, right? He knows he's, he's got to build a rapport with him. So, okay, I, 36, I know I can go to him. It, this is what I, this is how he can, Jamal Banks can tell him, this is how I like certain routes. This is how I run it. And Dylan can say the same thing. This is what I'm thinking. Then when you got Isaiah Nair, who's a guy that uh, two years ago um, when he was up at Wyoming was probably the number one um wide receiver option in the portal. You went to Texas. I think Texas football program was in a different state back then. Um, obviously, they've had a magical year this year and, and a little bit of last year. He unfortunately got hurt. He's healthy, looking for an opportunity. I would say the chip on his shoulder is probably the size of a boulder. That's what you want there because that's going to provide leadership. It's going to provide that dog in in, uh, in that in that wide receiver room. And then it's going to help Ross or uh, Doss, excuse me, uh, Lloyd, uh, Coleman, and all the other freshmen coming in be able to elevate their game at a gradual pace so it won't be too much too quick. So the expectations won't be so high on those three freshmen coming out of last year that mm-hmm. every other game they made a play or two that they have to be productive players in game in and game out. Now, they should compete like that, but you know when you have two guys that you can emulate, compete against, but then also the older guys can show you, right, along with McGuire, the head coach. I think that you couldn't probably picture a better um, portal portals get um, to go along with being forced to play those three last year because you had injury plagues. Your IGC gets hurt. Um, Betts quits. Uh, Washington gets hurt. And Billy Kemp got hurt and was banged up a little bit, mm-hmm. even though he started to come on in at the end of the year. Well, those are your top four receivers, and you couldn't get – all of them on the same field at the same time, let alone three after bets quit right before the season. Yeah. And that's essentially he got hurt. And if he had decided not to play in the spring, you could have maybe went into the portal and got somebody at that. By that time, the portal is closed. The vortex has been closed. So you got to think that Nebraska, I think has done a really good job of uh, addressing some needs, but then also creating an atmosphere where if guys that are presently on the team, um, it's not a foregone conclusion that they're, you know, there's like they're not going to sit behind a Justin Fields, say, if you got a quarter where you know you're not going to start because this dude is the real deal and is the guy that they're bringing in to take all the all the reps and his positions where everybody's going to play. Um, the next is uh, 
what's is it is it Makai? Mike 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 I called him but I was calling him Mazuka the Bazooka. Mazuka? Yeah, but I was gonna <laughs> Mazuka the Bazooka. That's the, that was what I was gonna call him. Because if you go back and check him out, when they played Tennessee and there was a little scrap after the game, oh, my he doesn't man, hesitate. My man was bobbing and weaving. So mm-hmm. that lets me know he's got that edge and he's ready to throw hands. Now look, we gotta make sure we you're not getting kicked out of the game. But it lets me know a guy that goes to Florida. And Nebraska had been in on him before, yeah. uh, obviously from Baylor. Got the family connections. Right. And it was kind of like a last-minute second that he went to Florida. So who knows what, you know, what the reasons were from there. You know, played well, started, productive. Um, I think he started all but one game. Yeah, started that all. That was due to injury. I right. think that was like Yeah, so four. he was their starter. Yeah. And so um, to get a starting uh, right guard, uh, legit, productive player, um, from the SEC with that, you know, they already have background on him because they recruited him, I think, at Baylor. Um, it, and he was a surprise out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Now, they must have known. I, I always say Matt Rules is like this, and I want you to read on this. Matt Rules is a guy that, like, you have a, you're having a poker match or a poker game in your, you know, in your garage, you know, just with buddies. And Matt Rule just shows up, and then he's the guy that's kind of been, you know, win a hand here, lose a couple. And then the biggest hand when he shows up, he's like, oh, I got straight flush. And just throws it out there like a, you know what I mean? He always he always seems like he has relationships and things that they're trying to do that people don't know. And I think that's good because you you don't I think they've also learned assuming that we had um uh Micah before or mm-hmm. Mike, then Florida came in, and then we had Rouse that uh coming from Stanford, then Oklahoma came in at the very last second, you know, kind of NIL deal or whatever. So I think you know, I think they've learned um you know, from those situations, and especially at that position, which is a position in need to to have a guy to come in and potentially start and set the tone in that in that offensive line room, along with Ben Scott, is huge. And I was talking about you get a player and a half when you get somebody that can either provide extreme leadership, pro, pro, with, along with productivity, or productivity with an edge. So I think you're getting productivity, right? Mm-hmm. Known starter, and he has a little bit of an edge. Now, he has to get better and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, you got a guy that you know that you've seen play. It's a little bit safer bet versus, oh, you're recruiting Jay Foreman. He played two games two years ago as a freshman. Three years ago, he was a four-star. Well, that was three years ago. We're dealing with just last year. And so it was a really good get um, for Nebraska. A really good job. And obviously, I think uh, Bly Hill to start it off in the, in the initial uh, early signing period mm-hmm. was huge, too, from St. Francis, right? Six three. 190 uh uh yeah we're gonna get to dowdell we're gonna get to him next he's my favorite last and and uh bly hill is a 6-3 kind of a richard sherman type of corner 190 195 his his dad leroy hill was a, a really good linebacker for his seattle seahawks and um i think his mom played basketball and so he can he went and wasn't recruited like he wanted and he went to saint francis which is the fcs school came in and started as a freshman uh, two picks and like nine or ten uh, pass breakups. So he's a pretty, pretty good uh, prospect to get. And Nebraska have, must have had their eye on him very early. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of identify for him to sign in the early period is a guy that they fit. They they figured like, okay, he fits what we do. Obviously, he's plays corner. Um, I've watched a little tape on him. I think he for a big long corner. Now he's long though, uh, Harrison. And what I mean by that is, it's like I know you you know you play basketball. He's a guy that. He's 6'3", but his wingspan is like a 6'7". 
And so kind of like what Javen Wright is almost right. a little bit. Javen, he's not the tallest guy. I mean, he's probably a little tall, six four, but his yeah. wingspan is yeah. what makes it uncomfortable it, it, for, for a linebacker. And we saw yeah. for Javen the ability to make that play. I think against Maryland, yep. where you know uh, Talia thought it was a uh, he, you know, he could either throw it to his receiver out of bounds. Well, here he comes. He's like Spider Man, arms, and that's where he's at. And he has pretty, not a pretty. He has really good um, tracking skills, um, ball skills. And he transitions pretty well for a long corner, mm-hmm. and and that's usually the problem, you yeah. know, long legs and all that. Pretty good quicks, pretty smooth in his back pedal. Um, obviously Evan Cooper is, you know, obviously he's gonna, you know, coach him up and do whatever, you know, to to get him up to where he can compete. But when you lose a Quentin Newsom, um, and then you got Tommy Hill, and uh, you know, that really stepped up, but still needs to be a little bit more, um, you know, consistent. And, uh, you know, the rest of the guys have been up and down and not, you, you know, what you needed to get Bly Hill out of the transfer portal to get him in here, get him to compete is uh, is really good. And then the most important get, I think, uh, Harrison, before we go to break, is my man uh, Dowdell. His first name is what? Is Devin? Dante. Dante. Uh, Dante Dowdell, who was a big, strong, powerful running back that was at the University of Oregon. And... The thing about him that I like is that uh, Emmett Johnson has showed you he can be a, a, a 1A running back in Big Ten. I think he exceeded expectations. I don't know why people thought that he couldn't. I knew about Emmett Johnson a lot more than probably even this staff because um, he's from Minnesota, so I knew where, where you know his background and kept an eye on a lot of guys from Minnesota. But the weird thing is one of my biggest high school rivals uh, on the basketball court, Emmett, you know, had a relationship with the dad, and I think he – might have dated a daughter for a little while. Mm-hmm. So I kind of already had an eye on him two years even before he came to Nebraska because of just him starting to get recruited by Nebraska and me seeing um, the, the, or his name is Kevin, seeing Kevin in the summer during basketball. So I'd see him all the time in Omaha in a couple of tournaments. He'd tell me, he's like, man, he's like, I think this kid's good. And Emmett Johnson was a really good basketball player as, as well. So he's very competitive. But Dante Dowdell comes in about 6'1", 220. Um, When you go back and watch his high school tape, he's not just a straight-line bulldozer. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he runs behind his pads, so, you know, at least, you know, at the high school level and a few of the Oregon plays. But then also he has good quicks, right? And he's got good, powerful quicks. And and if you want to – I don't know – comparison that you could get maybe a Leonard Fournette and granted I don't he's not Leonard Fournette but I'm just talking about body type and when I talk about powerful quicks is they don't have to be so shifty where they got to make you miss you just bounce off them if they get an edge on you or create an angle that's the difference people and the only reason I have different um analogies of this is because of me being a defensive player you have to prepare for different body types different players so you have to be able to differentiate you know if he's, is he a guy that's, you know, shake and bake where he's going to make you miss, mm-hmm. that's the dude you got to play a little different versus a guy that has, like, he's powerful, but he has just enough quicks that once he kind of gets his foot in the ground and you're not squared up on him, he's going to run right through your, you know, a shoulder tackle or arm tackle. So that's where he's at. And he's uh, showed the best. I've seen a couple of plays where he's able to, you know, kind of hurdle guys and stuff like that. So you know that he's he's got the uh, athletic ability and he has some home run speed. Yeah. Which you love to have. Having right. that one-two punch is always, to me, I mean, we saw that versus Michigan. You know, it's going to be the Corum game. Here come Edwards with a little bit of style. And he he cuts it back a lot faster. Corum's a lot more patient. 
And Washington was just surprised. Like they just didn't even have assignments on all the time. He'd break out to the outside. There's no one there. So having Emmett Johnson there, and then of course you throw Dowdell in the mix. Yeah. You got two guys, a little bit of different styles. Oh, different body types, mm-hmm. different styles. Um, both of them are gonna be competing and and uh, you know, getting entrenched in this uh, you know, Nebraska offense. Um by, by you know, led by Marcus Satterfield. I think that that's a perfect example when you talked about Michigan in, in the championship game, right? I, I think Washington overprepared for Blake Corum. And when you and, and there was no better example if you looked at the middle linebacker, I think his number was 10. He was submarining into Nugent, their mm-hmm. their lineman, their their center. That's what they want. He just absorbs you. And then Edwards was just cutting back and he the in the cutback lane was so wide that even the safety that was trying to insert back mm-hmm. there, because he's coming from depth, and depth means, you know, if I'm lined up at five, he's coming from maybe 12, and you got a five, 10-yard space, Edwards is going to make you miss, and he has home run speed. And then next thing you know, you start to prepare for Edwards. Well, here comes Blake Corum. He gets mm-hmm. he gets busy where he's more patient and kind of squeezes through there. Again, two different body types, two different running styles, both of them physical. Both of them have home runs. But if you don't know how to prepare for them separately, you will get exposed. And so that's what Nebraska potentially has. And those two, along with some of the other guys they still have, because you never know um, if Ramirez is going to get another year. Yeah. Um, and he's just always kind of been that lightning in a bottle. Right. Like, just kind of waiting get, for that. Right. If you, if you could just keep him healthy, he is your, like, uh, the asterisk back. He could be your third down back. He could be the guy that helps on a special teams return game, punt returns if you mm-hmm. need. He's a jack of all, like a Swiss Army knife. And then you got uh, Gabe Irvin. If he comes back healthy, he was the guy before. And and for Gabe Irvin, it's really just been, um, well, the injury at Oklahoma was just, a, I think it was a freak injury where you kind of get caught up in a bad part of the turf. And then the hip injury, I didn't even know it happened. And I don't even think he knew until he went. Now, obviously, he was in some pain, mm-hmm. but two freak injuries. So I don't, I wouldn't call him necessarily injury prone. I think a little bit of bad luck. And so if you get Gabe Irvin and you get Gabe Irvin to the point back to where, you know, say like, you know, I think he was running pretty good against Minnesota, running pretty good uh, against Colorado. Now you got three backs right there because you're going to need them in the Big Ten, especially, you know, the way that they, they we could be uh, potentially be playing. And so I think, um, you know, Dante Dowdell coming in is is really good. And he's coming from a really good program, too, yeah. uh, where they they expect you to be tough and they demand your best. And um, so I think, you know, as far as the transfer portal, where Nebraska is at right now, uh, is really good. I think, uh, you know, in present time, um, as if you haven't checked out the uh, football teams, I think social media, I don't know which one it was. I'm not big on social media, but uh, the early enrollees have moved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're or are moving in, and then I think the transfer portal guys have like a week, and they might be here or not. I don't, I don't really look into it, but I know that they're doing something, and so the transfer portal guys will be here because I think classes start here in the next week or two. So yeah, you know they'll be you know in it to win it, and and hopefully pushing towards a you know pretty big season. But I think this staff and the, what they've done coming off a you know a little bit of five and a five and seventeen uh, season that was. Uh, growth, but a little bit disappointing. Yeah, because you I, went, lost four in a row. I think Matt Rule would call this or, not a failure. He's but like, ah, he, he expected. Right, I'm sure to, to get. Yeah, it was kind of like ah, you know, just kind of like all right, it was just average, right? So coming off an average year, to where you know very easily people could lose faith, question. They seem to crank it up a little bit. Yeah, I they, keep going back to like no one's really leaving. No, that's the, that's what that's what my last point was. It lets you know 
that whatever they have going on down there as far as communication with the players and the players being okay with meeting expectations, right? New expectations, new regime, um, working different, different language, different expectations. Um, it's, it, it's, it's obviously been accepted, received, and then also they like it. And I will say this before we go to break. I keep saying, I keep saying it. The locker room that Matt Rule uh, had to take over. You, I want to give props to, um, you know, I guess, you know, Scott, Mickey, it, but in particularly Scott and Mickey, or particularly Mickey and uh, Joseph when he took over, you know, it, because he changed the expectations on the fly. It didn't work out for him. But those players gravitated towards him. Matt mm-hmm. Rule's not Mickey Joseph. Mickey Joseph's not Matt Rule. But the the foundation of that locker room was pr- in better shape than normally coming in. How big do you think winning against Iowa was? I think it was Mickey very- Joseph out the door. I think it was huge. Um, I think it was finally a payoff because you got to think of the Purdue game, uh, the Wisconsin game, mm-hmm. even like the, you know, the, just the ones that like, dang, you know, we, we lost those games, right? You know, we lost them for Mickey. They were all trying to, get, you know, maybe that pressure was there, you know, every week in and week out, you know, you hear like, oh, we got to win, you know, every single game for Mickey, you know, and then you, you start to kind of get, you second guess yourself. And then it was like, listen, there is no tomorrow. We did it. I think it was a, it was a, payoff and then also it it kind of boiled over into um you know for when matt rule came now look and i'll say this before we go to break tommy hill did not start off on the best best footing with matt rule yeah that's that's not me overstepping my boundaries that's just for what i saw my man wasn't even at the first practice (laughs) i don't think he was like hey look bro you ain't even got out of you ain't even got out of the starting blocks yet so don't think you're coming to practice and then i think he also was you know dipping around at wide receiver DB was kind of, you know, out there and then something clicked with him. Give Evan Cooper, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, credit as well. And maybe Tony white, whoever, all those guys, whatever they came in and did really paid off for Tommy Hill because you saw him start to play more. And I also think also it's give a credit to the staff. Even after the, the, you know, t- Tommy Hill fell asleep against Travis Hunter. I don't know how he did that. You know I mean? Look, the, it's That's no, the guy right there. It, it's no backs, <laughs> for, okay, but it happens, right? Yeah. Um. Trust me, I've gotten beaten, roasted plenty of times, so I'm not sitting up here like I'm better than anybody else. They didn't lose faith in him. Then he started becoming more your one of your more consistent uh, corners because Hartsog kind of maybe a little bit sophomore slump, and I think he had some some injuries that they didn't let out and they were protecting him from and he mm-hmm. kept the early in the year too. Yeah, you could yeah. tell three, three, five. There's a couple of times where he just wasn't in the right spot. Right. right learning curve. Right, growing right. Pains. And they didn't put him on the milk carton. Um, so that gives a props out. And then also, uh, Tommy Hill stayed at it. So with that being said, that's our, uh, portal update. I don't think there'd be any more unless it been looking. I mean, I, I wouldn't put anything behind you know, or be, you know, um, wouldn't put anything or, you know, past the staff of adding some, but uh, especially with the Alabama dudes coming, you know. <laughs> yeah, who knows how many more yeah, are going to Yeah, we might have to roll down there a little bit. But anyways, <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break, come back, talk about the playoffs, uh, games coming up, and uh, recap the ones that were just played last night. Jay Foreman, Inside the Huddle, brought to you by Advanced Medical Imaging. We'll be right back. Back to Inside the Huddle, sponsored by Advanced Medical Imaging. Here is your host, Jay Foreman. We're back, Jay Foreman, inside the huddle, brought to you by Advanced Medical Imaging. 
7601 Pioneers Boulevard. All your needs, all your imaging needs, and they will give you a, uh, at least for me, they set forth a uh, pain management path there. And, and then also they have a good, uh, they have a good team of uh, people they can point you to as well, Harrison. Yeah. You know what I mean? This time of year, it's cold, joints hurt. Yeah, not, but it's not every a bad day. Spot it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think it, that it, um, it's uh, Father Time is not, uh, it is undefeated against me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, here's the thing about Harrison. I think over the last year, Father Time was like, you know, I'm just going to just crank it up on you a little bit. Just, I'm just going to just mess you up. I don't know. I'm, I spent like, especially when you're like snowed in, last couple of days, like, what did I do to Father Time? Like, how old look, are you right now? Uh, on the books or off the books? No, I'm just I'm 47. 47? Yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's 50. This is like your preseason workout. Yeah. You get to the top of the hill. You know what it, you know what it is? You know what it is? Real. Father Time said, listen, man, I told you to come in the training camp in shape. So now, <laughs> now you know what I was meaning. All <laughs> so anyways, uh, this is our NFL playoff uh, edition of Inside the Huddle. Two games yesterday, Harrison. Mm-hmm. Cleveland at my Houston Texans. Um, the Texans represented. I think Houston was, uh, everybody thought, you know, with C.J. Stroud, Domingo Ryan's is like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a cute story. Um, obviously, Houston is listen. Their head coaching practices uh, over the last couple of years have been flat out horrible. Mm-hmm. Dave Cully, one year rental. <laughs> he got like an NFL parachute package. And see you <laughs> later. Uh, Lovey Smith was who was interviewing all the candidates. And the funny thing about this is, before we get to Domingo Ryan, they interviewed. I forget his name. He was a quarterback, or they interviewed Heinz Ward, who never coached before. But the quarterback, uh, Heward or not Heward or whatever, in uh, in the, he he was oh he was the quarterback coach at Carolina before everybody got fired. And part of the reason why they drafted Bryce Young, and he had never coached. He was literally on the Philadelphia Eagles practice squad. You know, when, remember when during COVID you could be on the practice squad yeah. but not have to practice. Like, hey, Harrison, you want to be on the press squad? Sure. I'll, I'll <laughs> zoom in for meetings and you can pay me 200 grand. You could have called and asked me to be on the practice squad. What's up with that? Well, anyways, um, they, they, Lovey Smith was conducting all the interviews. And they said, you know what? You conduct those interviews dang good. And you know what? You are a really good coach with the Bears. Would you like to be the head coach of the Texans? Sure. You have no talent. Yet we drafted Davis Mills as, as a third-round quarterback. Mm-hmm. He showed life. And they were flat out garbage again, no talent. And they didn't have a lot of, they were at bad cap year, yeah. you know, because of Bill O'Brien and all that stuff when he was a head coach and GM, uh, because Rick Smith's unfor- wife, unfortunately, you know, um, uh, succumbed to cancer, uh, cancer sucks by the way. And anyways, uh, then they said, you know, Lovey Smith was bad. Mm-hmm. And then they was, then it came down to Houston on the road at Indianapolis, kind of <laughs> like this year. Yeah. And literally, Part of the reason why Lovey Smith got fired because they because he played to win and beat yeah. the Colts last year. And I remember it was on every network. How could you do this? Lovey Smith was like, hey, I'm still the head coach. I'm trying to trying to win. He thought he was actually going to be the head coach still. Bro, I knew you won the head coach. I had to dime on you anyways. So, anyways, thank God for Dave Tepper, right? Mm-hmm. He decided for whatever reason, remember the CJ Stroud, he didn't do good on the Wonderlick, right? And CJ Strauss is like, I'm not, a, I'm not a test taker. I'm a football player. Listen, I took the Wonderlick. You don't even, <clears throat> I think they just decide who they want to do well on the Wonderlick. Yeah. What is like, break that down. It's like, 
they'll ask you questions, science questions. And first, the big part of it, you got to finish it. Mm-hmm. Another big part, you got to take it serious. And they're trying. To, it's like a it's a test taking thing to try to make a correlation between decision making or if you're smart. I I don't believe that because. I know plenty of doctors that have trouble taking their boards, but they're great doctors. And once they figure out how to take a test, that doesn't mean that you're not smart. You just got to learn how to take this process of elimination Mm -hmm. and all that. You know, CJ Stroud didn't do well on it um, or up to, you know, I don't, first of all, it's supposed to be all confidential. Magically, CJ Stroud's comes out that he didn't do well. Yeah, those stories were crazy. It was all over the place. Right. And then the other things, you know, the GM's asking people, about their parents and all this other, but anyways, so Bryce Young, who's a great quarterback in college, I think he's going to end up being good. Uh, unfortunately, gets picked by the Panthers. I've seen that where you don't have a running back, you don't have an offensive line, and you do not have a receiver. I saw it with David Carr. Yeah, Tom and Brady it, would struggle there. Anybody, anybody would. Joe Montana, everybody would. They they were dead set on Bryce Young. Felt like he was probably the safer pick. I don't know why because C.J. Stroud single handedly literally destroyed the best defense in college football in Georgia and with one cheap shot against Marvin Harrison Jr. from winning the national title. How soon they forget. Well, then he falls to Houston, mm-hmm. right? And you got to think, Cesario almost got ran out of town because he came from New England with the expectations. And he was, well, first of all, he hired Dave Cully, fired him. He hired Lovey Smith, fired him. Okay, you're giving away a lot of free money here. So people in Houston were thinking about him being jettisoned. And he's not a uh, out front GM. He's very behind the scenes, which I respect. Well, he drafted CJ Stroud number two and had him number one the whole time. Mm-hmm. So he the original re, re, real reason why they were mad is because they thought they might lose out on getting CJ Stroud. Then he pulled off the caper of all capers and traded up right from number nine to number three to get the best player in the draft. Will Anderson Jr. Mm-hmm. So you're getting two gold star prospects, along with you hired D'Amico Ryan's. Ryan, yeah, former player, right? Played after me. Tremendous leadership skills. Come high, comes highly recommended as a player and leader. Was in Nick Saban's first class at Alabama. The uh, first two, uh, you know, played the first two years. Phenomenal player. Um, move, it was ascending in the coaching ranks for like three years. And you got to think about all the teams that overlooked him because, oh, you're just a court. He started as a linebacker coach, co-coordinator, went out to San Fran, defensive coordinator. They start taking off, and then people were like, yeah, we don't know. Houston hires him. And then next thing you know, you repair the, like, relationships with the alumni. You repair the image of your of your franchise. You repair the energy of your franchise. You You give it optimism and hope, and you also give it, um, you know, real enthusiasm that actually we have good decision makers. You knock it out with the head coach. You knock it out with the quarterback. You knock it out with a defensive stalwart, along with you draft the Stingley the year before uh, that was healthy and some other guys. You got Nico Collins from Michigan. Um, he was going off right. yesterday. And, He's going to be a problem. And then they got the local product in the third round. And Tank Dell, that would have probably been 11, 1200 yard receiver, but he got hurt. And and so you hit it out, you hit it with a couple drafts, and then you get some good coordinators in there, and they match the coordinator with their quarterback. Mm-hmm. 
You bring back Laramie Tunsil, and they had, and they signed their right tackle. They got a better offensive line. Yeah, they still got Damian Pierce. Who, yeah, he's he's kind of he was a little more down this season. Right, he was down this year, mm-hmm. but you got you traded for Singletary or signed him. Pretty much a a real uh, cap friendly deal, and he steps up for nine hundred yards. And then there you go. And then we got Schultz, Dallas Schultz from uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and with a with a defense that's led by Malik Collins, former mm-hmm. Husker, black shirt. Um, and a stalwart in there where you trust him. And then you got, uh, I think, Khalil Davis there yep. where he comes in and is playing well. You got my man Blake Cashman, who, uh, you know, I've know been known since he was a little kid and trained him, by the way, at University of Minnesota. Um, and then the next thing you know, <laughs> you're in the playoffs. And then you get to play a home playoff game. And then Houston had been 0-4 in first weekend wildcard games. 0-4. Yeah. That means with all those great teams that they've had, with J.J. Watt, Andre Johnson, couldn't win. Well, you remember those times it was like Watson, he'd be walking out. And JJ Watt, I think they even caught it on camera. He's like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. You deserve better than this. Right. They, like, couldn't they get had it together. an offense at one point in time, just no defense Match behind off. it. And Gary Kubia. And mm-hmm. then Bill O'Brien would all of a sudden start to just try to be like Tom Brady in New England, didn't work out in the playoffs. But they faced the hottest team probably in the playoffs. Yeah. Joe Flacco. You just got torched by Mario Cooper and Joe Flacco. That was probably. Put him out there. It was like only a couple of weeks ago, too. Yeah. But guess who didn't play that game? CJ Stroud. The slew foot slayer was back. <laughs> Houston opened up a can of, you know what, 45-14. Uh, big ups to the city of Houston. And then the Jake Sorensen Bowl. The Miami Dolphins that had to go on the road to 30 below zero uh, weather. Uh, because they lost to my Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Yeah. You knew it was over after they lost to the Bills. Let's say this much. It was. Like you're heading down to a cold, cold, cold Kansas City. Yeah. And you Good have luck. a and you have a small quarterback and you're a gimmick type of offense. And you just have lost not only to Buffalo, you you got destroyed the week before against Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And so you play you're gonna you know that a rivalry game is gonna be close against Buffalo. So Baltimore game was more like what you saw yesterday the road team against Kansas city and um, Miami looked horrible. They looked um, uninterested in playing. Um, I know they had some injuries, but they had, they were fully loaded on offense. They were supposed to be the number one offense in the, in the NFL and tried to go tit for tat with Patrick, Patrick Mahomes and his offense that uh, Andy Reid and those guys got to get motivated and really get a good game plan together. Um, the score was 26 to seven, but Kansas city could have scored 14 more points. So it was a really a blowout. And in a beatdown, are we going to have the conversation that Tua can't throw the deep ball again in this offseason? Uh, there's been a few times where it looks like he's putting all his mustard it behind it and, it, and it's his, like going 30 yards. Down he the needs field. to go. I don't know how big of a golfer you are. He needs to learn how to throw the ball as if he's playing in the British Open. His tra- trajectory is way too high in the elements. That's what, uh, especially when he was in KC, I'm like, you're throwing yeah. that thing up in the wind. Win. Yeah. You got to learn how to control. And so, I think when you have a timing offense, that's what you do, and you have so much speed, you're used to r- them running underneath it. But if you know in the cold, you're not gonna, the ball isn't going to be trying to, is going to isn't going to travel at the t- same velocity, and you're not going to be able to create that much separation because of the footing. If you mm-hmm. saw it on a Twitter, Sneed uh, essentially bum rushed Tyreek Hill on a on man press, so it throws off your timing. They didn't adjust. Kansas City adjust. Miami's going home. With a lot of regret of what if you were eight and three, and Jake Sorensen got on our radio waves and said Miami's going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> now they're out after one week. Sorry, Jake. Um, how many? Nah, how many is that sir. in a row now that they've lost? 
in the playoffs? Three. Three Two. years? Yeah, three. And Jake Sorensen said it every year. But see, here's where I knew that that Jake wasn't really a Dolphins fan. He had a chance to go to the game and didn't go. He had a chance to go to the Purdue game as well. Yeah, didn't go. I don't know if he's a real fan. Yeah, I think it's just, just. I mean, it's listen, man. It's, come on, Jake. <laughs> you know, you, he's always saying fins up. You know, now Jake is missing in action. We still have an APB out there for Jake Sorensen. Uh, hopefully he's not frozen out here on, on O Street somewhere. But uh, that's the recap. And then we are going to give, uh, I'm going to give my predictions here after the break on the games today, which is two, and the two games uh, on Monday. And then we're going to send you off. Jay Foreman, Inside the Huddle, Advanced Medical Imaging. We'll be right back. You're listening to Inside the Huddle with Jay Foreman, sponsored by Advanced Medical Imaging. We're back. Jay Foreman brought to you by, uh, or Inside the Huddle brought to you by Advanced Medical Imaging. I'm going to give a quick prediction before we send you off. It's Sunday. It's Green Bay Packers at Dallas Cowboys. Make a break for Mike McCarthy. I think Dallas pulls it out. I think Dallas is uh, really, really good at home. Um, I think Green Bay will will give them a battle because I think Green Bay's defense matches up pretty decent with them. I think Jordan Love in that offense is probably a year away. You know, um, still need a real, really good receiver. But shout out to Samari Torre. Um, one of the top three or four receivers for Green Bay. But I think Dallas wins. The game of the day uh, will come tonight is the Los Angeles Rams at Detroit Lions. Matt Stafford, Jared Goff switched teams in a in a trade. Jared Goff had take, took in the, or taken the Rams to the Super Bowl. Uh, McVay said that wasn't good enough. We need Matthew Stafford. He won it. And they were on, thought to be on a down uh, turn this year. And I think they've exceeded expectations. I think they've drafted really well. Um uh Kyron Williams the running back is mm-hmm. uh third in the NFL in rushing probably would have led the league in rushing if he wouldn't have missed three or four games uh Cooper Cup is on the mend um but Detroit with Jared Goff at home it's hard to bet against this is a toss-up for me I'm gonna go Detroit because I like Dan Campbell Mr. Mm-hmm. Knee, ankle biter, knee bite, kneecap breaker, bite kneecaps. Yeah, and Aaron Glenn is a former teammate, and I think he's got he's gonna he'll have that defense ready to go. Yeah. Um, and they're pretty good at the second level as well. So I'm gonna go with Detroit. And then on Monday, I don't even have to say this game. Sorry, AD is Pittsburgh at Buffalo. The game was moved because uh, originally it was supposed to be today. Uh, inclement weather, three thirty, CBS. I'm not even sure if I'm gonna be able to do old school. We better have it on in here, or else I'm not playing. Buffalo's winning big too. Yeah, I I think big. out of all the games, this is the yeah we need to be, we, listen. To listen, it's gonna be cold up there. Josh Allen need to do your thing. Uh, this is the unique game right here: Philadelphia Eagles on the road at Tampa. I like this game. It's the team that's on the slide, which is Philly. AJ Brown is out for this game. Mm-hmm, that's big. Jalen Hurts has a messed up index finger, I think, on yeah. his throwing hand. It looked it's his throwing hand. Yeah. Throwing index index finger. yeah. And it looked horrible. Yeah. Um, they haven't played well. And mm-hmm. they have, if not the best roster, one of the best rosters on offense and defense in the league. Yeah. And they're weird. They do not get explosive plays through the ground at all, which is unique because you would think a DeAndre team with Swift the best offensive line, line. is going to have explosive running plays. They are ranked towards the bottom. Right. And you know what's crazy? I think the first game of the year, they didn't run DeAndre Swift the first game. Then the next game, he had like 150 yards. It'll be interesting to see if 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 Nick Sirianni can get these guys focused in a week or, or get mm-hmm. the, get more out of them. They look like I hate to say it because I'm not big on lost like he they but 
that's a team that looks like they're they're just checked out. Where's the disconnect with that organization? X's and O's well, players. Well, they lost they lost two two of their their quarter their coordinators. They're both mm-hmm. head coaches now. One's at uh, Indianapolis. One's at Arizona. And so that you lose that, that's a huge loss. And losing one, you can recover. Losing both of them yeah. is different. I don't think the play calling is different. I think Jalen Hurts is is had a magical year last year. Again, it's his first full year of starting. Now people have tape on you, know your weaknesses. I think ego's gotten into it. And I think Seriani is is one of those dudes that it it's really good to have that type of personality and coach when you're doing well. But when it's not, it can wear on you and it can come off as a little bit too much. And I think it's more or less on the defense. I think that the pass rush isn't there uh, like it was last year, primarily because they, they're not playing with the same amount of leads. And I think they're a little, they're struggling really uh, bad at the, at the back end, the safety mm-hmm. position and teams are able to stick, stick to it. So who are you going with? I think I'm rolling with Baker mania. I like, listen, Baker Mayfield, did you ever see that when he was mic'd up and ran the DB over and said, get your weight up? <laughs> yeah. Just for that alone, and he playing at home, and he's playing, this is probably the best year since he's uh, been in the NFL before the, he took Cleveland to the playoffs. Yeah. I'm going with Baker Mayfield and Levante David, Tampa Bay Bucks at home, survive. Mm-hmm. And then, who knows, we'll be coaching the Eagles by Monday, or, or by, by Tuesday. That'd be crazy. His job is on the line. Quiet is kept. Some people in the NFL told me how they play if they well how they if they lose and then how they how it looks. He could be gone and just went to Super Bowl. Well, anyways, um, I appreciate you guys turning tuning in for an odd hour uh, inside the huddle. Jay Foreman will be back on schedule next week. Stay warm, stay set, stay warm, stay safe. We'll holler at you next week. 